Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. My name is Michael, and I am privileged to be a part of this church and uh, to be a part of this church with you. I know a lot of you, and a lot of you I want to get to know. Um, yeah, so this we're going through a series on the book of Joshua these days, and today we're going to look at the, the episode of uh, Jericho, the Battle of Jericho. So before we do that, I wanted to uh, share some good news. I, uh, I don't have a picture to show you, but I, ha- I have a kid at least to show you. We, our, uh, our baby was born, my, my wife is Emma, who often leads worship here. Um, our baby was born about a week and a half ago. And, uh, yep, you see a baby back there, it might be ours. Um, so she is, uh, she's actually our fifth kid. Hey, that always, that, that's always kind of a fun thing to mention because people, there's like a range of responses. It ranges from like that, like, woo, that like, so like, yeah, all right, way to go, to like over here on the other side, it's like concern. Like, are, are you guys okay? Uh, Everything going okay? Um, and, and then there's like, past that, there's like, um, there's like, I hang out with a lot of environmentalists, um, or at least like, wannabe environmentalists, and uh, there's often like, like, dire concern from that camp, like, whoa, don't, don't you know? And I'm not, like, I, I'm not, no, I am stereotyping. If I, I may like stereotype at various points during the service, so if I do, it's only because it's useful. Um, don't be offended, okay? Um, <laughs> okay, good. Glad we're all on the same page. Yeah, so I'm super excited that um, that you know our our uh, new baby is here with us. It's been really fun to get to know this new person and our family together with the other four kids. Um, and uh, it's been really fun for me because I've been able to take some time to just slow down and do the whole paternity leave thing. And I'm really into that. Um, and I'm, I want, the, I don't know, I've read like some, what is like German paternity leave or like Swedish? It's probably like months, right? Like, a, next time we have a kid, like it's happening there, okay? Because uh, I have been so into it and I've been, I've gotten to hang out with, with our older kids so much and uh, I have done so much laundry <laughs> in the past two weeks. Um, it's been amazing, yeah. I've got, and I, and I even, like, I've been experimenting with, like, vinegar and all kinds of things to, like, remove stains and, like, mildew smells, and it's been great. So I, if you need any tips, you can visit my blog. Um, <laughs> what, crunchy, crunchy papa, no, all, all natural, no, I don't have a blog. I do have a Pinterest account, but it's anonymous, so you won't see it. Um, let's see. Yeah, so I've done a lot of laundry. Anybody who's done laundry, especially anybody who's done laundry together, for someone else or for your family knows that there's a difference between washing the clothes and folding, and folding them, right? And putting them away, right? Like that's, that's the crux. Like how many people here have had a marital conflict around like putting away laundry? Anybody? Anybody brave enough to <laughs> Some, like there's the thing, like some people are raising their hand with a smile on their face and the person next to them is like... Like, I think I had a conversation with Emma like uh, a while back. Like, I was super proud of myself. I think she was working 
this day whenever this happened, and I was at home, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be on task, I'm going to be like, I'm going to get all the laundry done, and, and, um, and she comes home, and I'm like, hey, I did the laundry, I did it, I did it all, and she looks aside, and there's like five laundry baskets of like unfolded laundry in the living room, and I'm like, just come on, like, show me some love, thank you, it's done, right? And she's like, well, did you put it away? And I'm like, well, what am I, Mother Teresa? Like, what do you, what? No, I didn't put it away. I don't have, what kind of time do you think I have? Um, anyway, so it's been, it's been super fun to uh, be able to spend lots of time with family. And um, the other thing of note I want to mention to you is that, I, I, just by obligation, I have to, is that I'm from Texas. Is anybody else here from Texas? Your grandma, any any natives, native Texans? Ah, Halla, hey Halla. Anybody else, really? Is that it? Well, that's a really fun question to ask too, because there's always like this polar reaction. There's some people are like, yeah, woo, and they like cowboy shout or something, and then the rest of the people are like, oh lord, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and um, I asked, uh, I was over at West just before this, and I asked, how many of you are Scandinavian? And it was so funny. It was like. No, it was like this like half hand, well, let's not get carried away with, you know, like, you know, uh, labeling ourselves and like standing out. So it was very, as some contrast. And um, anyway, so I'm, I'm from like, I'm a, a really small town um, out in West Texas. Think, think George W. Bush plus cotton plus oil plus uh, flat land and dirt blowing. Think Dust Bowl, and like that's right. That's like I, I have, there's dirt in my blood. My blood type is dirt. It's, it's Dust Bowl. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's where I'm from. And it, like, so, but I've been adjusting the life here in Wisconsin for a while. I've lived here for since fall 2002. Some of those years have been on and off. Um, that sounds confusing. Like working in other places and coming back here. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, and Halla back here can attest to this, is that, and other people from, anybody else from the South here? Well, yeah, so like, people from the South tend to be really friendly. They may hate you, but they're going to be friendly to you, right? And like, call you sweetheart and stuff. And so like, I like that. I like, like, show me some warmth, show me some love. Like, you can talk about me behind my back, but call me sweetheart and give me some pie and like, I'll be happy, right? But um, one of the things I found in, in Wisconsin is that people get a little bit suspicious when you're overtly friendly. And um, one of the places I discovered this was at the dog park, okay? So, so I'm not like a dog park person. If you are, I'm stereotyping you, but uh, no, that's fine. But I, I'm, we, like, we don't go to the dog park a lot. We've been a couple of times, mainly so our kids can run around with other people's dogs. And uh, but it's super funny. Any, any dog owners? Okay, wait, okay, let me distinguish that. Any dog walkers, there's a difference. That's like the laundry and put it away thing. Any dog walker? Okay, so you walk your dog. What do you do when you encounter someone else with, with their dog and, and they start like smelling each other and hanging out? Like, it's like a friendly interaction, right? And you're like, oh, isn't that sweet? Unless your dog is attacking, like <laughs> locked down on their neck or something. But, uh, but it's like, a fr- oh, are, you know, is that a... Is that, a, is that a great Dane? Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, that's oh, nice. Okay, see ya. That's it, right? Like, that's protocol. But, like, I didn't get that memo. And so I'm like, you know, dog is interacting. Like, oh, what's their name? What kind of breed is that? Oh, cool. What's your name? 
do you live nearby here? And people started backing away. They're like, why don't we just slow things down here, stalker? I'm like, whoa, what? See ya. Okay, like, if I go to the hardware store in Texas to buy, like, to buy a drill, the person checking out at the counter, they're going to, like, they're going to know, like, the project that I'm working on, how my grandma's doing, and what I had for lunch, right? I mean, that's just the way it is, like, this whole conversation. Um, Here, people, yeah. People get a little suspicious. I've successfully stereotyped three groups so far. Dog walkers, Wisconsinites, and who else? Okay, yeah, maybe four people. Anyway, enough of that. So, yeah, we, uh, we're, we feel really privileged to be a part of this church. I feel privileged to stand up in front of you today and talk, especially at this time in this, the life of this church where we are in, like, some significant transitions, right? Um, Building and leadership, and, and I'm sure that a lot of us personally are experiencing transition as well. And um, so it's, it's a significant time, and um, the story, the overall story of Joshua is, has a lot of uh, really wonderful, important things for us to glean that kind, of, that kind of carry us forward. But in order to understand the things that we need to glean from these stories, uh, we've got to understand where it fits in the big story. Okay, like the meta story of God in history. Okay, so this is not, we're not just going to do it like as a standalone. You know, we could look at Jericho and God instructed his people to march around the city. How many times? Sunday school students? Seven times, right? So, uh, you know, we're not just going to stand up here. Okay, let's go. We're going to march around the capital seven times and like proclaim and yell. And like, that's, that's not the lesson. But there's something deeper here about who God is and who he's calling us to be that, that we can glean. Okay? So it's not those specific things, it's the principles and what we learn about who God is. You with me? Yeah. Alright, so we, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to look at the, the big picture, the big story, and zoom in to two events. Okay? One is Jericho and where, how, what, how that went down in the book of Joshua, and the other is here today. Here today. And we're going to... We're going to try to uh, draw out the things that we can learn from him. This. Now, there are a million things you can say about Jericho and uh, the symbolism kind of interlaced within it, and I'm not going to address those things, okay? Uh, but I'm going to address three things, okay? So these are identity, inheritance, and mission. These are the three things I want to draw out. Identity, inheritance, and mission. So we'll look at that in the Jericho event, and then we're going to look at ourselves here, identity, Inheritance and mission. All right, I'm going to uh, I'm going to pray for us one more time, and I'm going to pray that God will help us to uh, not just to hear His word, but to apply it. Jesus talked about two people who built houses, right? One built on the sand, and it washed away. One built on the rock, and it withstood the storm. Right? What was the difference between the two? They both heard the word. A lot of times, people's response is, "Well, the one heard." Jesus and the other did. No, they both heard the word, but one of them did the word. One of them obeyed. And so we want to be in that, that camp, right? The people who hear and do, not just hear and have our lives washed away. Okay? So let's uh, let, pray, pray this with me, okay? Lord, um, help us to uh, not just hear your words this morning. We do ask for that, Lord, that you would be with us and teach us. But we ask especially that you would... Help us to, to put your words into practice in our lives. 
Help us to hear and obey what you would say to us today, Lord. Amen. All right, so big story, big, the meta story in the beginning. We'll start at the beginning because that's a good place to start, right? There's a conversation that happened. I'm over here because this, like, this is the beginning. Over there is the end, okay? So in the beginning, uh, in, in Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of the Bible, there's a conversation that takes place. And God said what? Let... It's close. Whoever, that, that's coming up. Thank you. Let there be light comes. But, the, but there's a decision that God made first. Then God says, let us make mankind in what? In our image. So what literally what it says in, in Genesis 1, 26. Let us make mankind in our image. Then it says, and in his image, he made them man and woman. In the meantime, he said... Let there be, all right, and all kinds of other great stuff, and, and, these, and these people were made in, in God's image, but who, the one question I have is, who's us, who's our? Yeah, there's a conversation that's happening here, right? It's the Trinity, and they're saying, hey, let's make people. Now, when we, when we, had our, uh, when we decided to have our second kid, our son, Linus, if you, yeah, you'll see him running around here. Um, when we decided to have our second kid, we had a conversation. And we had, uh, our, our daughter, Judah, was about one. And we said, you know what? We would like for her to have a sibling to share life with who's about the same age. About two years apart. Don't that be great? And then we started saying, well, it's so great. Like, let's, let's um, share... Let's share this family, let's share this love that we've got here, okay? You with me? And so we had this conversation, we got all excited, yeah, all right. And then about a year later, Linus was with us. And it was like such a joy, and it's been such a joy to extend our family here with this new one with us. And, uh, but that conversation didn't happen from a place of like, us like kind of kicking the ground and being like, well, our lives are pretty empty and desolate, Guess we better have some kids. Or we need somebody to put that laundry away. Let's have a kid. The conversation didn't happen like that. It was like, yeah, let's share this family. Let's, let's share this thing that we've got. And I think that's only like a fraction of this conversation that happened here in Genesis 1. Where God's saying, let's share this love. Let's, let's share this community. To think of the Trinity as like the first family. And they're saying, let's share this thing that we've got. And they made a decision, let us make people in our image. And they made them man and woman. And one of the first statements that we read in the Bible that's not good, comes shortly after, it's not good for people to be alone. Right? That's the first thing that we read that's not good. Loneliness. Isolation. So... God makes people, and people make a decision to rebel, right? So the people, this is a little further down the timeline here. So Adam and Eve turn around, and they make a decision, and and they're tempted. And their temptation is really mistrust, right? Satan comes, and he whispers to him and says, Hey, you know what? God doesn't really have your best in mind. He's kind of holding back from you. And so if you... Eat this fruit here from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God said not to, then you're going to be like him. And they're like, you know what? You're right. 
You're right. Why didn't we think of that? And so then they eat it. And basically what they're saying is, God, we got this. We got we to gotta fight for our own in this place. We're good, right? Maybe some of you have had that thought before and given into that thought before. Like, I've got to fight for my own. This, 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 um, this fulfillment and satisfaction that I long to feel, I'm going to take it for myself with this person in this place, with this substance, because, uh, because I'm not going to get it any other way. I'm not going to be satisfied any other way. So I got to take, I got to take what I want. I got to take what I need. You with me? Maybe, maybe I'm the only person in this room who's given into that thought before. But that's basically what goes on within this conversation. Like, you know, you're right. Let's let's do this. Now, God had also like given His people. He had he'd made them like governors, stewards, servants of His creation, and given them um, oversight and care of His creation, everything that He had made. And um, what they did was imagine God handing keys to his people, to Adam and Eve, and then Satan comes along and they hand those keys to Satan. And they're like, yeah, well, why don't you take this? And they gave him that authority, that dominion over creation, over the world. Romans 5 tells us that when um, sin entered into the world, death also entered in. So think famine, disease, um, any kind of corruption and decay. These things entered into this perfect place that existed in a state of goodness, right? Of shalom. And shalom is a, a really, really significant word that gets translated in English for us as peace, but that's a really disappointing word because it's like, it's really thin, right? It's, it's just not big enough. Whereas we, the, the wholeness of shalom encompasses um, completion and um, Harmony and complete well-being and wholeness like these. So when, when, when someone wishes you shalom, it's, and when Jesus brings shalom to us, it's this it's a transformative thing, right? It encompasses our whole life in every relationship and um, every aspect, every activity. And that's how God's world existed until this moment. Since that time, God has been on a mission to restore, to make things right. It's a quest for justice, for rightness, to restore shalom to his, to his world. All right, so this is the big story. You with me? Okay, thanks. I need that, that affirmation. Um, all right, so fast forward. God speaks to, I, I'm going to leave out, it's going to be the worst history lesson you've ever heard, but still... Somewhat true, at least, nonetheless. So, God speaks to a man named Abraham. Abram, at that time. And he says to him, Hey, I know you're old, but you're going to have a lot of descendants. I'm going to give you some kids. And you're going to have a lot of descendants. And they're going to bless through you. Every family on earth is going to be blessed. So, God is activating his plan for renewal, for justice, through this family. That's how he chooses to do it. I can relate with this on a very small scale. One time I was in Haiti, and I wanted to, uh, and I had a soccer ball. I had one soccer ball. A neighborhood full of kids. And I wanted them to be able to play with the soccer ball. Now, how do you accomplish that? Do I just throw it into the crowd? What happens then? No, I, I found one kid who seemed like a leader. And, 
And I talked to him and said, hey, man, I want to give you this. The thing is, when you go home, you've got to take it with you. And when you come back out, you've got to bring it out for everybody to play with. This is for everybody, but it's yours and you've got to take care of it. Okay, okay, okay. So I give him the ball and I'm like, I'm feeling like good about myself, right? Because I did a good deed. And, and this whole <laughs> crowd of kids comes back about five minutes later and they're angry. And they're like, he gave the ball away. And he's like, the big kids made me. Like, what was I going to do? And, uh, and everybody was really frustrated with him. And then there was no more ball. And I thought, wow, that's a really like, imperfect analogy. But that must be like how God feels when he gives us something to steward. And we just give it away. But he can't just throw it out. Like he's, he, he chooses to use us. Like, what an honor, right? The gifts that you possess. That God's put them within you and he wants to work through you in this plan of making things right. All right, so God is activating his plan. He's moving ahead through Abram. And he tells him some things. Um, Well, I'll pause on that. So through Abram, this nation of Israel is is established. Now, through a series of events, they're in in bondage and slavery in Egypt. And God, God... delivers them out of Egypt in really radical ways, leads them into the wilderness, and it's in this time in the wilderness that he is teaching them. And this story is not about you, but it reflects how God works. Does anybody relate with that, like being delivered and taken into what felt like just dry wilderness? And but it it's amazing what God did during this time and what he does in us is that this was a time of instruction. And if you read Leviticus and Deuteronomy and, and several other places, he's giving them instruction, for everything from health care to governance to, uh, um, to parenting and uh, education. It's just it's incredible. And he's teaching them how he's going to bring about his plan to bless the nations through them, right? How to be his people. He says to them, I think we have a couple of pastors here, Isaiah 42, 6. Um, he says to them, I am the Lord, I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. So this is later on spoken through Isaiah, but he's voicing this calling to be a light to the nations. So something I want to get out here to us here is that in this part of the story, God is on a mission. God has never not been on a mission to restore all people to himself and to make all things new. God has never not been on that mission. I heard someone teaching one time, they're like, in the Old Testament, God was an angry God. And in the New Testament, we live in a good time because Jesus made God nice. That's a paraphrase. And I thought, this is the worst teaching I've ever heard. And I won't teach you where I heard it. This is horrible. Like, what kind of, like, schizophrenic God do we have? But God has always been on this mission to reclaim, to restore, to renew, to bring things back to this place of shalom with you and with me and with the Egyptians and the Syrians and Babylonians. There was another passage there. Let's see. There toward the end. I will make you as a light for the nations. My salvation shall reach the ends of the earth. God is on a mission to reach all people throughout all time. He has been. Amen? All right. But something, 
things started to falter and, and uh, Israel did not fulfill their calling, they used God's instructions to build walls and to isolate, to distinguish themselves from other people rather than to be a light. So it was an inward thing rather than an outward thing. And even we see that really clearly in Jesus' time. There were like clear codes of who was in and who was out. And it was like a whole series of practices that would determine that. But God is like, we read in, in the passage of Jeremiah, God is on this mission even as he's disciplining his people and sending them into exile and in Babylon of all places, like the most detested, despicable enemy of God's people who have taken them captive, who have raped, pillaged, burned, you know, go down the list. Um, and yet, this is God's instruction to them while they're in exile, okay? And this, insert welfare, insert shalom, okay? Seek the shalom of the city where I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its shalom you will find your shalom. Isn't that weird? This, this, your captors, you're to seek their, the goodness from them. Earlier in that, right before this, God instructs them to build houses and gardens. So he's telling them, in other words, to build permanent structures that create wealth and abundance in a place that you're not even going to stay in. Go figure. How many of us would be willing to take on that kind of mentality for our city? Well, if it's not my property value, sorry, buddy. You know, like that's kind of our mentality. Is it going to benefit me? But this is, this is the calling that God has for his people. It's this care for the common good. It's a, a, and the idea that he wants his grace to be given to all people. Not constrained, constricted by boundaries. Okay, But God's people isolated themselves. And so imagine that there's like a, a current moving throughout history and there's a wall, this dam that's built by God's people, and Jesus comes and he just breaks through it. And he makes a statement to people and says, I am the vine, you're the branches. And people who heard that would have been like, wait, Israel is the vine. He says, no, I'm the true and better Israel. I'm the true and better. I'm here to fulfill God's plan to bring justice and rightness and restore all things. So Jesus is the true and better Adam, the true and better Abraham, the true and better Israel. Go down this, he's the true and better Joshua. Through his death, he justifies us. He justifies God's desire to, bring mer- to give us mercy. God desires to be merciful, but, but he, there's this thing called the law, which is good and holy. And there were... Um, consequences to sin. And he said, yeah, that's good. I'm going to take it on myself. So he justifies us. He makes us righteous. In other words, he brings us into his, he gives us a new status. So think righteous, think family status. He makes us part of his family. He makes us right with him. And then he works through us to bring righteousness. In other words, family-ness. Remember that Trinity picture here? Righteousness expressed through us. Isn't that amazing? And so Jesus does this. I don't know if we have Ephesians 2.13 up there, but Paul describes this to the, in the letter to the Ephesians. says, once you were far off, and now you've been brought near. And that's kind of, that's, that's our experience, and that's what Jesus is doing. And so um, through his, uh, so Jesus dies. He pays the price. 
for our redemption. He rises from the dead. And remember death entering into the world? That was the new order of things, was death and decay. And that's what we're familiar with, right? It's like things break down. Things, there's a famous novel called Things Fall Apart. And that kind of describes what a lot of our experience is, right? And um, Jesus, through his resurrection, he overcomes this order. And he creates a new order. And it's life. We don't see it fully yet, but we see little glimpses of it, right? And then, not only that, but the culmination, the climax of the story is that he pours forth God's very own presence within us because he justified it, right? And his fulfillment of the plan is the time that we live in, and this is where we're about to get to. Jesus said, the prophets longed to see these days that you live in. They long for it. These are like, these are special times. And that culmination came when he was able, through his actions, to pour his spirit into us, his presence. And this is the conversation that he had with the outcast woman at the well, right? And she was like, yeah, but do I have to go over here? Do I have to be a part of this group? I'm an outcast. And he says, no, a time's coming when everybody's going to have access, Right? And Jesus even said to his friends, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I didn't go away, then you wouldn't get the Holy Spirit within you. So we're actually, have you ever had that thought before? It would be so much better if if I was here with Jesus and I could sit at his feet and everything would be better. It wouldn't. That's what he said. It's John 16, or 17. Um, it's, It's to your advantage that he is not here physically because you've received something better. Okay? So, God is at work for three things within his people, okay? Identity. So, to his people, he's in... in um, I'm going to jump the, to the Jericho story here. So, previous stories, previous we talked about uh, them crossing the Jordan and the spies going to Rahab's place. And, and Rahab made some statements to, to the spies and said, the people's hearts are melting. Like, they're terrified. And she says, we've heard the stories of like when you guys were delivered from Egypt. That's 40 years back. They knew those stories. And, um, and so the people's hearts are melting. And because um, we know that, that God has given you the city. And she says something really interesting. She says, for the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on earth below. And that was a unique thing. Like he's inhabiting this place. And we don't know what to do with that. All right, so a little bit of background on Jericho. So that, again, the, the, I'm telling the big story just so we know where Jericho falls, okay? The context of this story. It doesn't, it's not a standalone thing. This is one episode in God's mission throughout history. <clears throat> okay? So Jericho is the first city that the people take in this, this land that God had promised them. It was a military center. So it was uh, securing trade routes in the area, probably, historians say, inhabited primarily by military personnel, even like regional officials and royalty. So it's pretty safe to say that there was a very small civilian population. It's also safe to say, based on what Rahab said, that if you weren't carrying a sword or spear, you might have got the hell out of town before the people came. 
Alright, so God, uh, God gives Joshua instruction, and this is what he says. Joshua 2, 2 through 5. He says, I have delivered past tense Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, and all the men of war going around the city once, this you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. All right, sounds kind of like a weird strategy. But... um, we can uh, assume, though, according to what historians tell us, that this would have been a known tactic okay, during the, in this, in this uh, region during this phase. And it was an intimidation tactic. When you were laying siege to a city, you march around it, and um, you scare the people. But God gives a little bit of a twist where, first of all, the, the ark, or the, like, symbolizing and in, in indicating his presence with the people, is out in front, again, and the only sound, they're to be silent. The only sound that you hear are marching feet in these seven horns, these instruments of worship. Kind of weird, right? Like if I was coming up with a strategy, I'd be like the, you know about the, the Vikings going berserk? We know that. Does anybody know, like, somebody can correct me if there's any Scandinavian scholars here. So the, so the Vikings would disrobe. Hold on, I have a quote here. Okay, they would take their clothes off, in other words. Um, and they would behave in a mysterious, unearthly way <laughs> and with their clothes off, and this would scare their enemies, right? Like, I would be scared by that. Like, I was working out the other day at a workout place, and I was scared by a dude <laughs> who shaved. I'm like, put some clothes on to sh-. Like, who shaves here, first of all, but... Some clothes on, you know? Like, I don't maybe I'm just prude, but I'm old fashioned. Uh, okay, so, but rather than like this great, their, their intimidation tactic, like the, the, what God had them do was to be silent, march around the city, and it was only on the last day, at the seventh time, all, all you hear are the instruments of worship blowing, and at that time, everybody shouted, the walls come down, they take the city. They destroy it in fire. Uh, inhabitants are killed, only like the precious metals were saved and set apart. So, even in this, we see God's uh, mission in the ways that he's working among the nations. And what I see in this is that it's, it's not by the people's own power that they're taking the city, right? Of course not. It's not just that, but it's, it's, it's from a, a place of worship that the city is taken. It's a place of acknowledgement of God's nature and character and responding that they take the city. There's another place in Second Chronicles 20 where um, Jehoshaphat's the king and the enemies are like working together to attack God's people. And um, this is the battle strategy. Okay, you're on harmony, you're on lead guitar, you're playing bass. Imagine Colin Powell, like ISIS is coming over the hill, okay? And it's like, okay, you're on lead guitar, you're on the cello, lead vocals. All right, we're going to go out and we're going to sing. I don't know if we have that passage up. 
We're going to sing that last couple lines. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Ready? Break. Let's go. And you're like, we're going to do what? <laughs> where, where are the drones, man? Like, what? But this was the battle strategy, was to worship the Lord, and through that, the enemies are destroyed. It's a crazy story. But, again, it, it shows us that God is on a mission, not just, to, not just to help His people win, but He wants to demonstrate to the nations who He is, right? Alright, so there's three things here. Identity... Inheritance and mission. So identity. God's telling his people, I'm with you, right? I'm for you. They don't have to appease him. They weren't like other gods that you had to appease. You see, we see stories in the Old Testament of people throwing their kids in the fire to appease the gods. You don't have to beg God to be good. He is good. He's for you. He's for his people. They're precious to him. Inheritance. They had one. But they had to take part in claiming it, Right? It was for them. The inheritance was for them, but it wasn't about them. It was for them, but it wasn't about them. He was giving them their inheritance as a part of his plan to reach the world. We see this even before they take Jericho. There's this short episode where Joshua encounters a man with a sword. Joshua goes up to him and he's like, I don't know, I think we have this passage too. uh, And Joshua tells him, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And um, the res- so, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? In the next slide, and he said no. <laughs> like, wait, what? And <laughs> it's like colder, colder, colder. Are right, you getting warm? Getting, like you're, you're not even you're like you play that with your kids or as a kid. Like you're in Antarctica. Like you, that's not even the question. Wrong question. But we see this question asked again, like in Acts. Like Jesus is friends, right? Like, Jesus is resurrected, and they're like, so, Jesus, now that you can walk through walls and stuff, you're going to do that king thing and help us overthrow the Romans? And he's like, guys, you don't get it, man. Or John and James, like, hey, Jesus, should we call down fire on the Samaritans? And Jesus is like, guys, come on. Let's make some fish. You know, like, it's like wrong question. It's not about them. It's, God's not for you at the expense of other people. He's for all people. He's on a mission. So we have identity, inheritance, and mission. God's on a mission. The people, their mission was to take was the uh, was conquest, right? Was to take the land, and they had drove out the inha- the inhabitants for the most part. They kind of varied in, in what their God God's mission was in, for them was to be the light, but as they knew it, it was to take uh, was was conquest to take the land. Okay, those are the three points. Now jump ahead, move toward the end with looking at our time, all right? So we looked at the Joshua Jericho episode. Now look at us, okay? Identity, inheritance, and mission. We have an identity too, right? We're further down this timeline, this progression of God's mission through history. We have an identity. And it's deeper than what the people of Israel had and what they knew. It's that you're a daughter. It's that you're a son. And in John 14, 15, 16, Jesus keeps driving this home. You're going to go to the Father. Not me. You're going to ask. I'm not going to ask on your behalf. You're going to go to Him. You're His. You're precious. And so it's, this, it's the same thing, but like deeper and deeper. Now, at the same time, something that's kind of flipped is that um, our identity is not based on the boundaries, the outer walls. 
Our identity is based on who's at the center, right? So we might look different. We might have different cultural practices. It's not about what's on the outside. It's about who's at the center of our heart. And this is significant, considering the news this week. Okay, the Supreme Court just ruled on Friday, right? That every state in the United States of America must legalize same-sex marriage. And people in this room might have different feelings about that. And I'm not asking you what your opinion is. The thing is, how do we identify ourselves and where do we get life from? So back here in the garden, remember the people sinned and what did they eat from? Rather than the tree of life, they gained life. They gained sustenance from the knowledge of good and evil. And so my question for you is not so much where do you stand, but where you gain in life from. Is it from your knowledge of good and evil? Like, could you post on Facebook and feel better about yourself because you know what other people are doing wrong? The people who disagree with you, you know that they're incorrect, and so you get substance from that. Like, you, they make you feel good. That's a result of the fall. Don't eat from that. Okay? You with me? Don't eat from that. It's not about the boundaries. It's about the center and who we're, orient, who we're gaining life from. And we're really good at telling the world what's wrong and what, what we're not, you know, and all that. We're not really good at expressing holiness and that righteousness, that family-ness to the world. And so, I'll throw that out to you. Our identity is, is through Him, okay? So our inheritance, so this identity, inheritance, our inheritance is not conquest, okay? We're not driving, we're not going to go march around the Capitol and march around seven times and tell... The people in power, like, hey, tear these walls down. You know, like, that's not what it is. Our inheritance is really different. Our inheritance, we have Psalm uh, 16.5, our inheritance is Him. It's much deeper, it's much better, it's much fuller. And, and David says this, and portion there is translated in a lot of versions, inheritance. The Lord is our inheritance, His presence with us. Our, our Jericho... We're not, we're not taking physical land and, and, um, and driving people out of their homes so that we can take a, a place, a territory, okay? He's our inheritance. And so a quick point on that is imagine if we're saying with David, the Lord is my portion. Like if we can be filled with Him, imagine the potential that lies in that. If, if you experience fulfillment based on His presence with us in the community that He's given us, then we, we are much more capable of forgiveness, of grace and patience. We don't need things like comparison. Imagine how much more effective you would be at your job if you were not bound by comparison and fear. Especially those of you who are in any kind of creative work. Like, take away comparison and fear. If we're, if we're saying the Lord is my portion, the Lord is my inheritance. Now the other thing with that is that we don't have to take away from others. Okay, This is not like a, a physical battle that we're fighting against another nation or our political enemies. He is our portion. He's our inheritance. And so it's identity, inheritance, and mission. We're on mission. Now here's the real twist in the story, okay? Our mission... With him as our inheritance is to give him his inheritance. It's to give Jesus what is rightfully his. 
which is a world restored, made right, made new. Amen? That's our mission. It's like your dad giving you five bucks and saying, yeah, go, you, you want to buy me a present? Okay, here's some money. And then they come back and they're like, hey, this is what we got. Oh, thanks. I bought it anyway, but cool. You know, like, he's including us in his, he's not just going to come and like, and, and take, and, and just immediately take dominion. Like, he includes us in this plan of restoration and renewal and bringing shalom. And so, but that starts within us. So there's some challenges here. We'll wrap up with this. Are you restored to him? Are you made right with him? Have you received his justification for you? Not based on what you can do, but based on what he's done. Have you been reconciled to him? And the the second thing is, you have the opportunity, I have the opportunity, through our life work, to give him what he's worthy of. And so bringing order, bringing beauty, restoration, in whatever corner of the earth you can put your hands to, whether you're making music, whether you're working the earth, whether you're teaching, whether you're creating art, that is, as you create beauty and truth and bring justice and order, doing it unto the Lord, saying, this is your inheritance, Lord. Those things don't get washed away. They're eternal. Okay, so we have this privilege there's a couple of passages we'll wrap up with from, uh, from Revelation. First of all, in 21.5, Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new. These words are trustworthy. I'm making all things new. We live in this kind of inaugural period. Jesus is the king, right? Like we even have that with our presidents. They become king. But there's this season of time, the inaugural period, before they are not enthroned. What do they do? Take office. You with me? It's this, 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 this transition season, and that's where we, we live in that space. And our joy is to prepare the, the land. Say, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. And when he comes, to give it to him and say, here you go, Lord. We welcome you. He's going to inhabit this place and make it new. That's good news to me. Now the next part is worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy to receive His inheritance. That includes you. He deserves you. He deserves your work. So our Jericho is not going in and killing a bunch of people. Okay? Our Jericho is, is taking dominion and partnering with him, bringing about this renewal, giving him his inheritance. So I want to challenge you, if you are not reconciled to him, receive it. Do it. And also, to give him his, his inheritance through the things that you put your hands to, through your life work. All right, we're, uh, I'm going to pray, we're going to take communion, we're going to worship together and respond. Um, as we take communion, I want to encourage you with a posture of receiving, okay? Receiving Christ's act on your behalf, His broken body and His, broken, and his blood poured out, His justification of you. To receive that, okay?
And um, secondly, let's respond to him as we worship together and say, what, um, how can I apply this, Lord? What does it mean for me not to just hear but to obey in my life? Okay, so we're going to worship together and take communion and I'll pray just to, to move us into that. Oh, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the mission that you are on, that you've rescued us, but also that you've included us to, to be co-laborers with you. We thank you for that, Lord. And uh, we pray that we would be a church, God, who, uh, who takes part in that, who says, you are worthy, Lord. And looks out at our city and says, Lord, how do you want to take this city? How can we give it to you? Not looking out to our enemies, God, but looking for your presence among us. In Jesus' name, amen.